0: Remember, history lives on through the stories we tell. I'm Peter, and this is Who Died Today, the podcast that explores the lives of famous individuals on the day they passed away. Today we're delving into the extraordinary life of Miles Davis, a pioneering jazz trumpeter and composer whose innovations transformed the landscape of music multiple times. Today marks the 32nd anniversary of his death. So without any further ado, let's dive into the extraordinary early life of Miles Davis. 1. Beginnings and a Love for Jazz, 1926-1944 to 1944. Miles Dewey Davis III came into the world on May 26, 1926, in the city of Altoon, Illinois. Born into an affluent African-American family, his father, Miles Dewey Davis II, was a successful dental surgeon, while his mother, Cleota May Davis, although a music teacher, surprisingly didn't want her son to pursue a career in music fearing the struggles it might bring. Yet, the town of East St. Louis, where the Davis family relocated when Miles was just a child, hummed with a rich musical heritage. The rhythmic blues from nearby clubs, gospel tones from churches, and the classical melodies his mother loved all merged to create a musical tapestry that would deeply influence young Miles. When Miles was 13, his father gifted him a trumpet, a decision that would set the trajectory for Miles' life. With the trumpet, Miles found his voice. It became an extension of himself, a tool with which he would communicate his soul's deepest yearnings. Elwood Buchanan, his first trumpet teacher, played an indispensable role in shaping Miles' approach to the instrument. Buchanan, who detested the prevalent vibrato style of other trumpet players, ingrained in Miles a penchant for a clearer, more straightforward tone. This unique sound, which Miles embraced, would later become one of his hallmarks in the world of jazz. During his school years, Miles' talents didn't go unnoticed. He became an active member of his school's musical groups and even played in local bands. It was in these formative years that he was exposed to the world of big bands, listening to idols like Duke Ellington and Count Bassey on the radio. The seeds of a passion for jazz were sown. Graduating from high school in 1944, Miles was torn between staying close to his roots and chasing his musical aspirations in the heart of the jazz world, New York City. Armed with a scholarship, he decided to attend the Juilliard School, one of the most prestigious music institutions in the world. However, the magnetic draw of New York's burning jazz scene was too powerful to resist. The clubs, the artists, the music, they all beckoned to him promising a world where his dreams could take flight. Part 2, Finding His Group, New York and the Birth of Pool, 1944-1960 After leaving Juilliard, Miles Davis' immersion into New York's vibrant jazz scene was swift and profound. The city during this period was the epicenter of jazz innovation, with bebop dominating the scene. Here, Miles had a chance to interact and play with legends like Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie. While they were pioneering bebop with its complex rhythms and chords, Miles was absorbing, learning, but also seeking his own distinct sound. In 1949, Miles, eager to break away from the dominating sounds of bebop, formed a unique ensemble, the Nonet. This group with its unusual combination of instruments, including the French horn and tuba, aimed to explore new sonic textures and directions. Their explorations gave rise to pool jazz, a style characterized by more relaxed tempos and a softer sound, contrasting with the fiery energy of bebop. The sessions they recorded, later released as the Birth of Pool album, would prove to be seminal in the jazz world, introducing a fresh sound and approach to jazz composition. And arrangement. The 1950s were a period of growth and exploration for Davis. While battling personal demons, including struggles with heroin addiction, his musical output was nothing short of prolific. Moving on from cool jazz, Davis started gravitating towards hard bop, a fusion of bebop with blues and gospel. In 1955, he formed the first great quintet with John Coltrane, Red Garland, Paul Chambers, and Billy Joe Jones. Their collaborations over the next few years would lay the groundwork for much of modern jazz, showcasing intricate improvisations and incredible dynamics. By the late 1950s, Davis was once again yearning for new musical horizons. He began experimenting with a modal approach to jazz, relying less on chord progressions and more on scales or modes as the foundation. This approach allowed for greater improvisational freedom, The culmination of these explorations was the 1959 album Kind of Blue. Not only is it the best-selling jazz album of all time, but it's also regarded as one of the greatest musical achievements in the 20th century. Its influence permeates far beyond jazz, touching various genres and artists. Part 3 Pushing Boundaries Fusion, Electric Experiments, and Uncharted Territories. 1961 to 1975. The dawn of the 1960s saw Miles Davis once again reshaping his sound and band. The second great quintet featuring Herbie Hancock, Wayne Shorter, Tony Williams, and Ron Carter was a powerhouse ensemble. Each member brought a distinct voice and together they pushed the boundaries of jazz. Their albums such as ESP and Nefertiti marked a departure from traditional gas structures, experimenting with time signatures, melodies and improvisational spaces. The late 1960s, the music landscape was rapidly evolving. The emergence of rock and roll and the electric innovations in the music world did not go unnoticed by Davis. Inspired by the psychedelic sounds and electrical instrumentation of Jimi Hendrix and Sly Stone, Davis began to incorporate electric instruments into his ensemble. In 1969, he released the album In a Silent Way, which marked the beginning of his electric period and is often considered the precursor to the jazz-rock fusion. A year later, the release of Bitches Brew solidified Davis' position as a pioneer of fusion. The album was a colossal departure from his earlier works, blending jazz with rock, funk and African rhythms. While controversial at the time, with some jazz purists accusing Davis of selling out, Bitches Brew would go on to influence countless musicians and give birth to a whole new genre. The early 1970s saw Davis taking his electric sound to the stage with extended live performances. The Cellar Door Sessions, recorded in 1970, showcased the raw energy and experimental spirit of Davis's live shows. Featuring musicians like Keith Jarrett and John McLaughlin, these sessions were a masterclass in improvisation, with Davis and his bandmates feeding off each other's energy to create sprawling sonic landscapes. By the mid-1970s, the relentless pace of innovation and personal health challenges began to take a toll on Davis. He gradually retreated from the public eye, taking a hiatus from recording and performing. This period allowed Davis to reflect, rest, and rejuvenate. While it marked the end of one of his most experimental and controversial phases, it set the stage for further evolution in the years to come. Part 4. The Final Act. Resurgence, Evolution, and Legacy. 1975-1991. After a period of self-imposed exile that lasted nearly five years, Miles Davis made a comeback in 1980 with the album The Man with the Horn. While it didn't achieve the same acclaim as his previous works, it signaled to the world that Davis was back. It was a transitional album, hinting at new directions and sounds that Davis was exploring. The 1980s saw Davis fully embrace modern studio techniques and sounds. His music began to incorporate elements of funk, pop, R&B, and even early hip-hop beats. Albums like Tutu in 1986 and Amandala in 1989 showcase this new approach with electronic sounds and synthesizers taking a more central role. Tutu in particular was a significant release, winning Davis a Grammy and introducing him to a whole new generation of fans. The album was a collaboration with producer and bassist Marcus Miller and it reflected the changing musical landscape of the 1980s drawing influences from artists like Prince. Miles Davis' final tours in the late 80s and early 90s showcased a musician still at the top of his game. Despite health challenges, Davis' live performances remained electrifying. Albums like Live Around the World captured the essence of his live shows from the period, displaying his adaptability and continued relevance in the ever-evolving world of jazz. On September 28th, 1991, the world mourned the loss of one of its greatest musical icons when Miles Davis passed away at the age of 65. His passing marked the end of an era, but his legacy was far from over. Over his career spanning several decades, Davis consistently defied expectations and transformed the sound of jazz multiple times. From cool jazz to hard bop, from fusion to modern pop jazz sounds, His influence can be heard in countless recordings and artists across genres. His restless spirit and relentless drive to innovate have made him a symbol of artistic evolution and expression. And that brings us to the end of today's episode on Miles Davis, a pioneering jazz trumpeter and composer. He's also who died today, September 28th. Additionally, if you enjoyed today's episode and want a visual of what Miles Davis looked like, please follow our Instagram, who period died period today. Lastly, make sure to rate us wherever you're listening and share with friends and family. Join us next time on who died today as we explore the life of another remarkable individual who made a lasting and indelible mark on history. I'm your host, Peter, and thank you for listening.